Welcome to Season 2 of Pasco Podcast, a series where we discuss leadership and public service. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the 550,000-plus residents of Pasco County, as represented by the Board of County Commissioners. It's through their trust and empowerment of our workforce and leadership team that we're able to bring you this podcast. We created this podcast to help public servants build leadership skills and leverage them for success by sharing the experiences of our peers. Hello, I'm Dan Biles, and welcome to our sixth episode of the Pasco Podcast a series where we discuss leadership and public service. Join us today for our sixth episode. We have Organizational Performance Management Director Mark Bellis and Media Relations and Communications Manager Tambry Lane. All right, well, welcome both to you here. It's glad to see you here uh, today. And first, I'd like to kind of start off a little bit. Um, you know, we want to talk about leadership, some philosophy, you know, pu- public service. We'll get into some stories later on. But kind of just give me a, a kind of overview of what your leadership philosophy is and how you lead your teams. So I actually have a sign in my office and it says, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And I believe that leadership is not just something we do, but it's something that we are deep in our core. And if it is deep in your core, then the way that shows up to other people is a a dedication or a determination to achieve something bigger than yourself. A a good example of that would be uh, Abraham Lincoln. When he was speaking to his Secretary of State, William Seward, he said, I know that when I have achieved what I am here to do, my purpose, which of course was to reunite the country, a free country, my days in this world will end. So ahead of time, he knew not only what his purpose was, He knew he would achieve it, and he also knew what price he'd have to pay to do that. And we all know that he did, in fact, do that. All right. And I'd be remiss to start with (laughs) its team leader of the year. So not just, uh, you know, our communications team leader, but the county team leader of the year that we recognized just a few weeks ago. So thank you. Congratulations (laughs) on that. But so tell us a little bit about your philosophy. You've kind of built a team from the ground up over the last few years. I have. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's so much of a philosophy for me as it is um, just the the tools that I use because I'm very much involved in what we do in the day to day business. So for me, it's definitely hiring the right person for the position. Right. right. So we don't have as many positions as other organizations, but with the few positions we do have, hiring the right person is is key for me. And then my job is to make sure they have the tools that they need. So we were just talking about the setup for this podcast, for example. So over the past couple of years, that's required a lot of tools. And so I can see Aaron smiling over here because (laughs) (laughs) we we were able to get him the tools he needed to produce that. So um, and that goes for the rest of the team, too. And then just kind of getting out of their way and letting them do what they do. I mean, that just makes the entire the entire county look good. But for me, that's the most important part. Hire the best person, make sure they have the tools they need, and then get out of their way and just be there to support them when they ask for that. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the book uh, that we kind of went through the other day at Team Leaders Meeting, the the Google Rules or Work Rules book, right. uh, talking about Google and the, and the rules they talk about and how they are very particular about the hiring process and that it's more important to get the right person than it is to get a person. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. And so – Go back a little bit. When and and um, how did you realize that you wanted to lead others? Either way, we'll go back and forth. Yeah, we'll go back and forth. Well, it's interesting for me that question because I don't know that I ever realized it per se. Mm -hmm. Um, My baby brother would just call me bossy. 
But I think it just kind of <laughs> came naturally to me because I'm kind of a fixer. I just, when somebody comes to me with a problem, I just innately want to fix it for them and help them. And so I think that's part of the servant leadership is just trying to make life easier for people. Um, I think early on in newsrooms, when, when you talk about realizing, maybe I realized it because a lot of the younger reporters and, and producers would come to me for advice. Even though we had other leadership in the newsroom, they would come to me. And so I think it was just maybe the way that I would go about it and try to incorporate you know, their ideas into what we were doing. Because I really don't believe in just saying you have to do it my way. Right. I mean, sometimes we're in a time crunch and you got to make decisions. Right. But I really thought it was important for those young, talent, talented people to come forward and say, hey, look, this is my idea. Okay, let's incorporate that, but think about it this way. And so I think that's where I first kind of realized that that time. And that's got to be an interesting environment in the newsroom and in the, the stress and the you know, you got You have a deadline. You you can't slip. Yes. <laughs> you know, the five o'clock newscast can't slip. You know, it has to start at five. It's kind of got to be an interesting environment to lead in that. In yeah, that you way. make a really good point. And there are deadlines throughout the day, right? Because even right. leading up to the show, you have what we call teases and things like that that have to get done. So, I always thought that it was really, really important to to let the other team members know that I was there to help. So, if you need a cup of coffee and you're running a camera. I'll go get that for you. No problem. That's not, you know, something can't be beneath right. you. You have to be part of the team. And and in that deadline-driven environment, you're right. There are a lot of things that come up to the wire. So that's where that making that split decision comes in handy. But then them knowing when there is a little bit of wiggle room, you know, right. that their input is is greatly appreciated. Right, right. Yeah. So, Mark. Yeah, I was fortunate to realize early on in my career that it's, it's rarely – crowded along the extra mile. I'm incredibly fortunate to have a whole team that goes the extra mile all the time now. I had not experienced that in the past. In fact, in the the corporate sector, even though it's almost always a survival of the fittest game, you still have a lot of folks that take the easy route from A to B. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really raised that way. Uh, There was, uh, there were a lot of times uh, growing up that I was, I was told that uh, that might be good enough for other kids, but not good enough for my son. Sounded mean at the time, but it seemed to work. So uh, over time in my career, I I got a little bit of a a reputation as being a a smoke jumper. Uh, They could parachute me into the center of a company or the center of a part of a company that was on fire. And I'd have the opportunity to work with people who wanted to be part of the solution to turn things around. And so it really wasn't that I did that because I thought I could become a leader that way. But what I did realize is that good people like to be a part of good things and they tend to gravitate toward the ones who can make that happen. So if being that, the result of that is that you are in a position to lead, then so be it. Right. Yeah. People want to be part of some a success. Yes. Right? You know, and success begets success. And you so, got it. And, you know, we've seen that. You know, you've had experience in the corporate world. You know, there's as much bureaucracy sometimes in the private sector in the corporate world as we run into on the government side. Yes. You know, and so yes. that's something we have to leap through. Right. You know, and so. Right. All so, the time. Yeah. So as, as, as you talk about uh, leadership, who's kind of been the biggest influence in developing your leadership style and skills in your life? Yes. Yeah, so very fortunate, again, had some wonderful mentors throughout my life. Very strong people, strong faith, strong values. My father actually mm-hmm. was the first. He was uh, in the Pacific Theater in World War II in the Navy, fought there. And he was a true servant leader. 
And throughout all of my life, I cannot remember a time when he did not do for others, expecting nothing in return. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. You look at the the measure of a life when he passed away too young, uh, 1986. The church that we went to, pretty big building, and even on holidays, it was about two-thirds full. At his funeral, not only was it packed, but it was standing room only, and people were literally out the doors. And these were people whose lives he had touched. So he really, he really led through his actions, which were a lot more than words mm -hmm. to a young man, myself at the time. The other person, a little, little different kind of a story, uh, my favorite aunt, uh, Jane Osborne was her name. And she was probably one of the strongest people that I have ever known. A tall lady, 6'2", very powerful, very uh, extroverted. She became the first female nurse anesthesiologist in the country, 1941. So this mm -hmm. is back a ways. And she used to tell some really interesting stories about the resistance that she was up against. There were stories of surgeons walking out of an operating room when they found that a woman was at the controls. But she persevered through all that and literally opened the door by leading the way for so many others to to go into that position. So there's two probably the biggest influences in my life. Okay, all It's right. interesting to me that it's kind of similar for me because I'd be remiss without mentioning my mom and dad. They've right. been together over 50 years and um, have been amazing examples of, of strong leaders to me in their own way. My mom, because she's the communicator. She's the one who ties everybody together, make sure that you're in touch with people. You know, when we were kids, if we got a gift from someone, you, you weren't able to use it or open it until you sent the handwritten thank you note. You know, you have to communicate that. So she she taught me that. Um, and then my dad coming to Canada when he was 18 from from Holland, not speaking the language and just right. kind of diving into a whole different world and culture um, really taught me that strength and perseverance. Plus, he was the kind of dad who said, you know, you're my little girl. You can do anything you want. So <laughs> kind of driving that home for me. Um, and, you know, even if you don't necessarily buy into that as a, as a young child, you get older and you realize, you know, you're right. I don't really have the limitations that other right. people or other um, other organizations might put on you. Um, the other the other person I'd be remiss in not mentioning is is my uncle. So much like your aunt, but my uncle, uh, Paul Watson, he was one of the founders of Greenpeace uh, way back when. And then in the late 70s, he went on to found Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, which is the really the only um, direct action marine conservation organization in the world. And what I admire so much about him, not only his courage and bravery, which he might say that he's not, but he is, <laughs> but the fact that he took this organic grassroots movement and turned it into a global movement with chapters all over the world. So he's he's been probably one of the best examples of a leader for me to follow in my life. And he's the one who taught me that a camera is your greatest weapon, your greatest tool. Right. And so I learned that I learned that early on. And then as many people have said in this podcast before, good and bad leaders throughout my career. Right. I've had some amazing news directors that I got to work with early on who really took me under their wing and saw things that maybe other people didn't see um, and then had some pretty terrible leaders too that I had right. to work for. So so I probably learned more from them right. um, than I did from from the good leaders. So Yeah, I think that's pretty typical is that you sometimes learn more about leadership from those that are poor yes. or bad at leadership than you do from those that are good. 
Here's uh, what not to do. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The negative example sometimes is right. is there. So, so um, any lessons on on leadership you'd like to share? Successes, challenges, um, kind of you know, think you know, you know some big successes. Maybe even you know we talk about successes a lot, but yeah. sometimes you learn more from you know, when you got out there and you failed on something too. So. Yeah. Well, I'll jump in for a okay. second and, yeah. and yeah, pick up ahead. on yeah. some of yeah. that because right. um, I feel like it, this sounds really simple, but it's really important to me. Maybe it's the Canadian in me, but be kind. It's mm-hmm. it's such it's such an important thing, and it sounds like common sense, but I feel like a lot of people kind of miss the mark on that sometimes. Um, maybe you're just really involved in what you're doing and kind of forget that sometimes. But that all kind of ties into relationship building, right. and that's a lesson that I've learned probably in all of the different. Um, things that I've done in my career is that building those relationships and getting that buy-in to what you do is incredibly important. Um, patience. I think that's, <laughs> that's a big thing. And I want to, I want to mention that in a way that you mentioned building a team not that long ago when I came to work for the County five years ago. Um, there wasn't a lot of buy-in to what we did as a team right. just because it was new right. and scary and people were, you know, maybe afraid of, of putting themselves out there. And so being patient and continuing to do what we do best and having an amazing team uh, has really paid off because now not only are we getting that buy-in, but people really want to be part of what we're doing. Right. So the biggest that's the biggest lesson I've learned is that you need to be patient. You need to believe in what you're doing and, you know, and build those relationships. Well, in, 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 in the communications field, has had to deal with a complete change in how you communicate. Right over the last decade or so, you've gone from the press release and you wait for somebody to call or whatever to now it's social media and engagement and, and working through those. So it's a completely different way to communicate than what you had just a few years ago. Absolutely. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up, too, just because of my specific background. I mean, everybody comes to our team with different backgrounds, which is amazing. Right. Um, but I came from that broadcast background, so everything was more conversational. So the old style news release was very, uh, you know, very formal and very right. rigid. And I know from my experience working in newsrooms that you spent most of your time rewriting that to make it conversational. So we've kind of changed our strategy right. here to cut that work out, right. you know, for the for the people that we're sending it to for our external yeah, customers. There's been a few times where the story is basically your release republished. Yeah, absolutely. And we're very proud of that. But that's us assisting our media partners and helping them do their job. Um, It makes it easier for them, too, because in a lot of situations, they're short staffed. And so when they get the information and they can see it's clear, concise, and they trust the source, then they can just go ahead and publish it. So that's been helpful. The other thing I want to mention real quick, since you brought up changes, is um, during the pandemic, during the COVID-19 pandemic this past year, um, our branch communications coordinator, Amy, along with Aaron, our videographer, did a fantastic job of kind of taking this idea of virtual events. Mm -hmm. And that was another piece of change, right? We'd never done anything like that. We normally have these groundbreakings and ribbon cuttings and and, uh, bring a lot of people there. But how much bang for the buck, right? right? When you have a few people show up at the event. So we thought, let's turn this into a virtual event and push it out. And we're actually getting more coverage and more reach Mm -hmm. doing it that way. Um, And other than for Aaron and Amy, the, the work that goes into it on the front end is a little less. Right. So that was a change that um, was almost instantly embraced by a lot of the departments and that we were really proud of. Yeah. 
Uh, it's been a lot. And we'll talk more about the pandemic and leadership <laughs> as part of the pandemic later. Uh, I got another question on that later, but yeah. So, so one of the things uh, that, that at Tambria you're talking, you reminded me, one of the mistakes I made here is when we were looking for a second for a, a PIO, I interfered in the process because I thought I found the perfect person who would be able to jump right in here. It was, it was during activation time. So there were this interviewed well, was out of the military, came on to got, got a hold of somebody's radio to get, to get on an interview from uh, Puerto Rico. Thought, oh, this is great. Turned out to be a horrible fit, terrible fit. And it was because I didn't let Tambry just take and say, here's what I need. I'll take care of it. The result here now, Tambry has put together one of the most outstanding teams you could even imagine. It's a dream team mm -hmm. because I stayed back out of it while Tambry, knowing what it was she needed in her team, was able to do that. Right. So that was a big lesson. Giving me way too much credit, but thank you. Not, not even close. That's exactly how it works. It, the, the other thing I was just going to share real quick is that something that I learned way back is, uh, again, I, the, I was in a position to manage a lot of people who were older than me. And when a particular technique or management style that you know, I read in a book didn't work in real life, it frustrated me. And I couldn't figure out why that was the why that was an issue. But it occurred to me that there really isn't a one-size-fits-all leadership style. Right. In fact, uh, Vince Lombardi, who uh, you know was the uh, very um, legendary coach for the early Green Bay Packers, he was once interviewed by a, a reporter who asked him, why is it that the members of your team consider you to be such a great leader. What is your leadership style? And he said, I have 53 different leadership styles. He had 53 guys on the team. Right. So he had to be different for each one. And I think sometimes we pressure ourselves to be what's this, they, whatever the book tells us we need right. to be. When in reality, you've got to take a look at what's going on around you and you have to adapt your style to the people that you're leading. So Yeah, and I think that's you know, that's important. It's leadership is, while there's a lot of great books out there on leadership, tell you how to do things, whether it's servant leadership or all the different books that are out there that talk about leadership or great leaders and how they acted right. without actually getting out and practicing it and trying it and stubbing your toe from time to time. You really, it's really hard to learn yeah. how to be that leader that you need to be exactly without, without doing that and without having some good mentors. Right. Yes. And you can't be afraid to fail. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and embrace you know, change. Yeah. Embrace, embrace change. change. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've, we're living that right now. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of the your story. You know, when I went on active duty as brand new butter bar, second lieutenant, you know, I always remember one thing my father-in-law told me, which is, you know, find the senior guy, senior enlisted guy and ask him because yeah. right. they know way more than right. you do. Right. And then yeah. let them run. So, yeah, so, Absolutely. so, so as you're, you know, we are where we are today, right? And one of the things about leadership is you have to continue to build your styles and refine them and, and, and improve them. So, so how do you continue to build your leadership styles today? Everybody kind of has different ways they do it. So how do you continue to build your styles, both professionally and personally, because they kind of are intertwined? For me, that's easy here at the county because I feel like I'm just surrounded by amazing leaders. And I'm and I'm not just saying that. In my position, I have um, the great fortune to work with almost all of the department heads, the assistant county administrators, yourself, Mark. Um, and so I feel like 
surrounding myself with people who are a lot smarter than me and know government a lot better than I do has been a huge has been a huge boon for me. Um, I learn from them every single day, and I learn from my team members every single day. The people on my team they they are all amazing in their own right, and they teach me things all the time. Um, so f for me, I think that's the the biggest piece and something that you touched on earlier. I think that it's okay for you as a leader to know that not everybody you've led is going to think you're the best leader that they've ever had, right? Right. So even the bad bosses I've had, I'm sure they're somewhere down the line who somebody thought they were their best boss. And so and so I'm okay with that. It's like you do your best every day mm -hmm. and surround yourself with people who can teach you how to do things better or right. differently. Um, and then be open to learning leadership skills from your own team members. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Learning every day. Yeah. And you have to be open to that. That's right. and so much of that comes from listening. You mentioned learning from your teams. I I think when a, a mistake that a lot of folks who are immediately put into positions of and I'll say management versus leadership, right. so managing a process or something even, the idea is that you have to be the expert on everything and you have to know all of what's going on. And in reality, if you we talked about it the other day as well. If you're hiring up, I'm going to hire you and put you in that position, you in this position, because you know this a lot better than I ever will. You know, you've forgotten more than I'll ever know about this function. So I will put you in that and I will remove the barriers to you doing your best work and let you run with it and learn from you as I see you do these things. Yeah. So that's very different philosophy. If I'm interviewing someone and they legitimately know things that are way over my head in their field, I'm thinking, okay, that might be the person I need right, <laughs> to hire because they know a lot more right. than I do. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because for me, it's also about learning to let go because I'm so involved in what we do. And as the team grows, other team members are taking over some of the things I was doing. And so learning to trust those team members and, and letting them do it. And then they're often doing a much better job than I ever did. So so it's really cool to see that. Right. As it goes back to the Steve Jobs quote, why would we hire great people and then tell them what to do? Right. right. Yeah. So. And we know you you're, you always talk about uh, leaders or readers. And one of the things that one of my early mentors turned me on to was reading uh, books and in particular biographies. And so a hobby of mine at this point is really uh, I try to find, and some are difficult to find, but biographies on as many of the folks throughout history who have been considered some of the best leaders, everybody from Alexander to Ben Franklin to Martin Luther King to Ronald Reagan, to sort of understand their philosophies and their approaches to leadership and then later seeing what the result of what they mm -hmm. did was right, and try to find some common threads there. and. And although, as you know, I love to quote these folks as right. often as possible. <laughs> I love their quotes uh, because it's so, it's so good. But collectively, what they taught has shaped my own leadership mm -hmm. style in a way that's unique to my own personality. So you, you, almost, right. you almost have to see what's out there and then take the pieces that mold together to, to, to create who, who you want to project, at least, as being right. as a leader. Right. And, and that's so important because – if you try to fake it, everybody will see right through it, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be yourself. Yes. You have to be true to yourself right. and then apply the things that you've learned because every one of those great leaders was different. Oh, yes. Right? They all oh, yes. they all had areas where they're great. They all had areas where they, were, they had weaknesses, but they're right. all different. And so it's all we're, – we're all created differently, right? Thank, thankfully. Yes. Right, for, you know, the, there's not another one of us out there. And so we have to – 
apply those skills in what's true to us. Right. Yes. So, um, so how do you take and build leaders in your teams? You want to go for it? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's focusing not only on the strengths and talents, but put that aside for a second and say to your team member, what do you really want to do? Like, what are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you're right. doing what you love, then it's not really work. But I think it's easy for me to say in our team because we're small and we're growing. But if if we focus on what they're passionate about and what they want to do, um, I think it actually changes the direction of our team and the services we provide right. in, in some respects. Um, but I think that empowers people too, to to feel that they can do something they love. And here's why I'm saying that. So way back early in my career, I had, um, actually when I was in college, I, I wanted to be a journalist. I love to talk, big surprise, love to write. And so, um, so I was trying to figure out what that was gonna look like in the world of journalism. And one of the professors who I greatly respected and admired said, you know, you don't really have the look to be an anchor. So I would focus on photography or reporting and it's like, great, I love both of those things. So I applied for photography and reporting jobs. And the first reporting job I got for $17,000 a year in North Dakota, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was there for a few months and the competing number one station saw my work, called me up and offered me their main anchor position. So the reason I'm telling you this is because that's really at the end of the day, what I was passionate about was the storytelling and helping craft all the stories right. in the show, not just the one that I was working on. Right. And so even though someone else didn't necessarily see that in me, that's what I was passionate about. And that's what I hope for my team members is that they get to do what what they're passionate about. Yeah, that's right. awesome. That's one of the things my father used to say is if you the key to being happy is to find what you love doing, because if you love doing it, you'll be good at it. And if you're good at it, the money will be there. The top 10% of any profession right, right. makes good money. And uh, so words of wisdom there. The um, I'll depart a little bit from the norm on this when you talk about developing leaders. Because since I believe that, uh, that leadership is something you are more than something you do, I believe that everybody has the capacity to lead in some way, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a thought leader or uh, a positive influencer or an encourager or like my father, someone who is a servant leader that leads through example. And I think that as leaders of people, if we can get good at recognizing that in different folks it wouldn't matter if they were in a position of leading other people or not, they'd still have a role to lead. Right. And that would make an impact. And so we continue to, to grow and to support that kind of leadership. Right. And that gets back to the trust factor to trust them, to be able to do that. Yes. And the more we trust them and the further that flows in the organization, actually the more, you know, more innovative and more, agile we become because they can make those decisions right at that lower level right and Perfect. it doesn't even have to come up it right. have to, they've already solved the problem before you right. before you've found out about it yes so yeah no that's a, a great point um any tools or wisdom you like to sh well let's first talk this year has been a little different year right <laughs> about middle yes. march last year mm -hmm. you know we we the pandemic kind of hit and we've mm -hmm. been through a bunch of stuff you know, and a lot of that is driven, driven 
communication needs or how to communicate, but also mm-hmm. how to just lead our people, right? Yeah. Because I think as leaders, good leaders recognize it's more than just a person that shows up 40 hours a week, right? It's it's the 24-7, the whole person, and you have to take care of that. So how have how have, has the way you lead your team or your people changed due to the pandemic and what we've been going through? I think across the board for us, it really did come down to extending almost at times uncomfortable levels of trust <laughs> because we had to take one function and move it off site completely, 100% right. to where you wouldn't be able to see people day to day and you would have to trust that what they were doing was what they needed to do. Uh, the reward is that when you see that not only are they doing what they were supposed to do, but they're actually doing it better then you realize that the extension of the trust was a very good calculated risk right. and the reward there is tremendous. I think the other thing is that it's it's often good for us to be forced out of our comfort zone. If you look at what happened, just even the, the development of the vaccines, mm-hmm. if it hadn't had the sense of urgency, we'd still be waiting for approvals for things. Right. But because there was a an immediate need, we had to do something different. And I think as an organization, so many areas and so many of our folks rose to the occasion and showed us what they're made of when we said we need to get from a to b and here's what we're up against how, how do we fix it and they did right. so that's that's tremendously exciting to see right yeah, and for our team i don't know that the leadership style necessarily changed in our little function we were still coming to the emergency operations center the eoc every day um, and so that piece of it didn't change for us but what i will say changed was I think the way people viewed the communications team and the services we provided and the fact that, you know, we were able to adapt much like a lot of the other departments Mm -hmm. um, to be able to say, okay, things are different now. You know, we can't gather and we can't do this. And everybody knows there was a ton of frustration in the community with things like CARES funding and with the vaccines. And so um, along with our customer service teams, uh, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on communicating you know, what what we're able to communicate in a clear way. Like, we know it's frustrating. We're frustrated, too, sometimes. So we have to make sure we're getting the right information to the right people at the right time. That's what we say in communications. And and I think the rest of the county maybe saw that in a different way during right. this, this specific type of activation. They see it during hurricanes and they see right. it during, you know, other types of emergencies. But um, I think this one was unique in that way just because we changed the way we were communicating. Right. Um, and, and I think our team was able to improvise and innovate a little more than they have in the past. And so, right. so that was empowering in a way too. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and everybody, I think everybody sees it in the hurricane, but that's really a defined, yes. you know, four or five, six days, right. maybe a little longer if you get a direct hit. But even then it's very short duration. I mean, you know, we've been signing local state of emergencies every week now for mm-hmm. 10 months, you know, because we're in a state of emergency with a pandemic. And right. so it, it's just a different mindset, a different change of, you know, this is who we are now. Very different type of event too, right. that a hurricane is at least predictable. We prepare, we respond, and then we recover. This pandemic, it's been so new, we didn't always know what to expect from day to day. So mm-hmm. what message do you communicate? What do people want to know? What will give them some sense of comfort or letting them know that we'll, we're doing everything we can? So the unknowns here were 
were a variable that we weren't used to either. Right. So responding right, yeah. to that was. Yeah. And our team's challenge. always been willing to jump in to your point Dan, right. after hours or, <laughs> you know, early in the morning, we have some, uh, you know, messaging we have to get on the website or whatever, social media, um, responding to customer concerns. Um, so I think that's been, that's been kind of a learning curve for us right. too, because we're used to it when, when we have that short seven day, six day activation right. for a hurricane, but this has just kind of gone on and on. So I really appreciate, you know, everything our team has done to, right. to step up and make sure that we don't miss anything. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we broke the record for the longest continuous activation <laughs> in Probably. Pasco yeah. history. Yeah. I also say, you know, and, you know, we think back to the hurricane events and, you know, while the cone always moves on us, they're still reasonably predictable. Right. You know, and, but it's, you know, it's a seven day push, you know, and you run on adrenaline for a lot of that, right. As, as you get through it. And, yes. but it, you can't run on adrenaline for 10 months, right. right? You know, you, right. you need other things and you need to take breaks mm -hmm. and you need those kinds of things. So, right. so any, uh, tools or wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners kind of before we wrap up. Trust that you're going to make the right decision when it counts. That's the thing that I've learned over and over again. Um, when it comes down to the wire and you got to make a decision, you have to feel confident about that decision. And I always tell Mark, as long as I can justify the why behind <laughs> it and know that I was doing it for the right reasons, then it's okay if it was right. the wrong call or, um, you know, if it wasn't the right answer, because in your heart, you just have to know that you're doing the right thing for the right reason. Right. So that was the biggest, the biggest one for me. And I have a saying that I love, which is striving for, um, perfection is demoralizing. Striving for excellence is motivating. And I believe that. So, um, and awesome. I can't remember the, the person who I that's stole awesome. that from. But, <laughs> okay. but yeah, it, that's kind of been a driving force for me because as anyone on my team will tell you, I do have very high standards and it's almost kind of difficult to justify that. But I finally realized at this point in my career that it's okay. It's right. okay to have those high standards and it's okay to say, look, we're striving for excellence, you know? Right. Don't try to be perfect because that's just going to drive you crazy. But striving for excellence, you, you can't really argue with that when you're trying to do the right thing. Right. So wisdom or tools? That was the question. Uh, yeah. Wisdom. I <laughs> feel, feel like I should give the Mark Antony speech. You all know me as the plain blunt man, man I am with yeah. neither wit nor wisdom nor words to stir men's hearts. Oh, boy. <laughs> Getting yeah. in Shakespeare. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, um, yeah, so in my humble opinion, I think one of the best tools that a leader can have is discernment of character. And I say that because then you have the opportunity as a leader to surround yourself with people who lift you up and who lift others up and spend time looking for uh, possibility thinkers, I think is, is what the term is. Uh, and then you can learn to see the people you have to avoid, like the ones that bring you down or put other right. people down or spread harmful gossip and things like that. Um, one of the things um, that my father said, uh, the, the last quote that I remember forever is, uh, and appropriate, I think, to this piece is, he, uh, he said, trust to a fault mm -hmm. and forgive generously. Right. And, and I would say that my addition to that is if you're going to lead, always lead from the front and never look back. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, you you've both said trust, you know, a lot, um, and you know, in your comment about decisions, and you know, trust your decision making when you have to make it, and yours about your discernment, and I always thinks back to you know, it, it took me a while to learn to trust my gut, right? And yes. you, know, you know, you see a lot of it, don't don't listen to your gut, but that's really your subconscious mm -hmm. that will pick up cues that your conscious mind won't. And so there's times where you just got to 
your gut will give you a feeling of, eh, you know, something's just not right here. Yeah. Or, or the flip side, right? Mm -hmm. When that's not what you're seeing consciously. And so right. you get, it took a while to learn to just trust my gut, especially with people. Yes. Um, because they, it, your gut can, gut, your subconscious can right. really see things that you can't from the conscious perspective. So right. no, that's all really, really great stuff. Um, and I, I think we've worn out the word trust this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's good. I mean, because it's a foundation of everything we do. The foundation of leadership is built on yeah. trust, uh, trust and courage, because yeah. those go together. And it works so, both ways. Right. We right. want our team to trust us, too, and, and right. know that we're making the right decisions in those snap moments and that my team knows they can question me. Right. Please, it's welcome. You know, if we can do it better next time, then I want to know how and why, right. and then we'll and we'll do it better next time. Right. Well, and I know we've had debates about the right way to communicate. You're trying to convince this engineer, uh, you know, on a, a different way. So. But you know, that's one of the things I just want to say that I that I love about working here too is that is that that you talk about trust, it's there. You know, mm. uh, from the ground up, and at least in my experience here in the county, because I feel like like our voices are heard. And that they are taken into consideration. And then no matter what the decision is at the end of the day, we can all feel good about it. Right. Probably one of the best things you did when you got here is tell us, I, I don't want a bunch of rules around you. Just be adults. Because that was <laughs> that was an extension of trust. Right. Absolutely. And you mentioned the idea that whether it's the public or the private sector, there's always going to be a level of bureaucracy or red tape you have to dig through. I think the, the the further trust is embedded in the organization, the more loosely that has mm -hmm. to be wrapped around right. it. And that's when you really see people step up and right. do things that are just amazing. Right. That's, it, that's, and we have some rules that are there for a reason, right? But in general, yeah, yeah. trust. Well, we can argue about that one later. Well, <laughs> <laughs> some don't belong to us. Some belong to the state or the of federal course. government where we, the of rules course. we have to follow. Sure. So, yeah. so sure. Rules that keep people safe, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, all right. Well, hey, I appreciate you both being here today. I love the discussion. Thank you for um, and so, I got a lightning round, kind of just, and I, you've probably heard a few of these questions. <laughs> I'm going to jump around a little bit cool. uh, and maybe throw a couple questions in it's there. going to try to surprise us. Try to surprise you a little bit. But I'm going to. These all closed ended. You can answer with yes or no. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, so, so here's this one. I'm going to always, this is one of my favorite ones. Are you an office fan or a parks and rec? You say this to me purposefully knowing that I haven't seen either there one. There you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that answer would be, I don't know. Uh, right. So which one should I watch? That If I had to Ooh, line them up first, which I one? I don't know. You know, there are so many things I like about The Office, but Parks and Rec really gives you insight into local government from you know from a TV comedy right. perspective. And so it's a little different. I think they both are. I liked 30 Rock, so maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know. Sure. Steve, it's hard to beat Steve Carroll, but then again, <laughs> that's, that's true. Depends Walter on if you're looking for the really acting. Really good or the job too. Yeah. So depends on if it's for the acting and the information. Then right. Ah. right, right, right. There, yeah. right. So, so. Yeah. yeah, the office. I think. Okay. <laughs> so morning or evening person? Oh, evening. Evening. Yes. Okay. Morning. Morning. Yeah. Well, that. Uh, yeah. I can expect that. Be early morning. <laughs> yeah. Early morning. Yeah. I worked nights for over twenty years. I'm still not used to working days. <laughs> so, uh, what place do you most want to travel? Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe? Oh, boy. I've been fortunate enough to travel all over the world. I would say I have family in New Zealand. I'd love to get there someday. Yeah. 
Yeah, their borders are closed right now, but right. yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> someday. <laughs> yeah, someday. We watch uh, The Lord of the Rings. It's kind of one of those you just put it on and let it go a weekend. You know, yes. It's a whole weekend. It's there. Right? In, right. In the background or watching it. And that's all shot in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just gorgeous, gorgeous uh, uh, cinematography in that movie in New Zealand. So My brother just moved to the, to the Philippines, too, so maybe. Okay. Maybe I can go visit him there. Okay. That looks beautiful too. Yeah. So many places to choose from. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of great places yeah. to choose from. So east and west. So, so what's your favorite season? I know we don't really have four seasons here in Florida. Mine's summer. Yeah. <laughs> I like the heat. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Just gonna kind of sit down. So, what's your uh, favorite book or movie character? Everyone's going to laugh at me. No, it's John okay. McClane, Die Hard. <laughs> What's that? John McClane from Die Hard. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The Christmas Aaron, movie, Aaron's right? smacking his forehead over there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah. Most Those any, are always the most, tough questions. Most anything Jack Nicholson plays, <laughs> I'm good with. <laughs> most any role. All right, last one. Cake or pie? Oh, boy kind of cake kind of pie well, I just, ah. just see i'm a pie i prefer pies generally i never met a dessert i didn't like so well, that, yeah. that's a tough yeah. one yeah. yeah but but probably cake okay yeah cake yeah i don't have much if of I can a have, sweet if I, tooth if yeah, i can have I my cake know. and eat it too so yeah. although key lime pie ever since i moved Ooh. to florida that's not so bad oh, so yeah. maybe yeah. the real thing right yeah, Nobody can ever give you just simple answers to these questions, can well, they? Well, that's okay. That's okay. It gives people the, a little insight into 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 you and, and into me as I answer them too. Like I said, I'm a pie. I prefer pies. No, no favorite uh, animal or anything like that. No favorite animals. No, no. The, favorite commissioner the, thing like no, that. No, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to ask. I won't ask that either. So. Um, well, thank you, Mark and Tamri, both for being here. It was great to have you both on. I really appreciate the Pleasure discussion and conversation. Thanks for having us. Um, and special thanks to our media relations team. Uh, they make all this work. Uh, Tamri and her team make all this work and, and make it look beautiful. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Pasco Podcast. I'm Dan Biles, and until next time. For more information on Pasco County government, please visit mypasco.net and check us out on Facebook and Twitter.